0: So David's new phone week.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, new all kind of thing week. Um got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things that are new. So the uh, but we'll, we'll get to the phone in a second. But I got uh my wife like walked in the house yesterday with, with a five week old kitten. Um so it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, like like in her purse? Or like- pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm maybe hoping I wasn't wasn't gonna notice. But uh yeah, we got a foster kitten for uh I guess a week or so, uh, her name is Mia. Uh, she's Hmm. like five weeks old and just like so tiny, but I could hear her clear across the house. So it's, um, but I'm glad to
0: have her here. And, uh, is Mia uh, Mia. Is that a family name?
1: No, no. It's just basically, we have, uh, friends of the family that they take care of a lot of like animals that were abandoned or abused and stuff like that. And we, she rehabilitates them. And, uh, um, finds uh new uh homes for them and mm-hmm. uh uh we got an opportunity to uh just have a cat in the house for a week or so um because we can't have like permanent cats cuz I'm like you're really allergic, allergic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so it's just you know it's just uh, uh like a uh it's a cat sharing industry
0: i guess is what we're taking advantage <laughs> of here it's that sharing economy i've been hearing so much about
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> And then, uh, I, I was really excited. I saw that the, there's a, the Kindle app is going to be updated soon and it's going to get, um, this, uh, technology called word runner, which looks a lot like Spritz. And, you know, we talked about this many episodes ago that, uh, it's, uh, the visual response system where it just puts the words on the screen and flashes them. So you could read, read really fast. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, for me, is who reads really slowly. Um, I'm, I can't wait for that to happen uh, because I, I actually do pretty well with that type of technology. So I, I really can't wait.
0: Oh, that's really interesting because I, I, you know, the transition from physical paper to a Kindle, everybody thought that that was a very big deal. Mm-hmm. But I guess it makes sense. So like now it's in software, and now we don't have to be beholden to. it. Now I don't have to make it look like a book, right? Once I've trained people to be holding this device instead of a book to read a yep. book. Um, now you can do all kinds of fun stuff like what you're talking about, or flash a bunch of words up on the screen, kind of clockwork orange style, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you get away from skeuomorphism. Um, and, and also, um, I think one of the things that they want to be able to do too is have that work on say like the smart, uh, smart watches. Um, so you could be reading a book while you're like looking at your watch and having the words fly by. I, I don't know if I would do that, but it's an interesting use.
0: Oh, yeah. It would certainly make boring dinners go by a lot faster.
1: Yeah. Let me see what time it is for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to catch up on my Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then, but in the meantime, I got a new phone. Um, they were like liquidating with all the new Nexus phones coming out. I, I picked up a Nexus 6, the, the last year's model, which is like, I don't know, less than, it was like a 10 month old phone. And it was like half price. So I was like, yeah, I'll try this. And it's a, the six inch screen with, and it's a humongous phone, Mm -hmm. um, which, and I was like, yeah, I figure I'll get a deal on it. If I don't like it, I'll sell it or whatever. But it's like, let me see if the really big phone, if I'm going to like it or not. Um, but what's funny is that now I don't, it's like, I can't get used to either one where it's like you use the, the six inch phone and, and it is like, you're holding like, I don't know, like a cafeteria tray. Um, (laughs) And, it, and a very expensive and fragile traffic cafeteria tray. <laughs> uh-huh. that it's heavy and lopsided and will fall out of your hands and shatter on the ground. So it's like you're really careful with it. But a lot of the time it's like I when I have my f- phone, it's like I, I never hold it up to my head to talk. I'm always using earbuds or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's like we'll see if I get used to it. But, um, but what's funny is that with the Nexus 5, it's like I, I was like, transfer and stuff over to the six and everything i would pick up the five after using the six for a while and it's like oh my gosh this is incredibly small who shrunk my phone and it's (laughs) like it's, it's like i can't stand this phone it's too small now and so i it was really weird it reminded me a lot of when i had the iphone 3g where in going to the you know like the the Uh, samsung galaxy s3 Mm -hmm. and it was just like such a big jump from screen size and resolution um and and like the smaller phone was just adorable Mm -hmm. um i'm I'm getting that same sort of feeling now with the nexus 5 that that form factor is like it's too small it's like it's fine for a telephone but not as
0: a phablet Um, right so i don't know that's interesting i uh so as you know I sat on my Nexus 5 and so now I'm using uh, this kind of spare HTC one that we had lying around which is uh, form factor wise it's about the size of like an iPhone 6 right it's not yeah. enormous but like pretty big um yeah. and th- and what you just described of like a very expensive fragile cafeteria tray that's ex- that's actually what it feels like it and it's almost impossible to hold it in one hand and also use your thumb to manipulate it um hmm. it's a- it's like a two-hander um yeah. it- <clears throat> walking through airports and stuff and trying to check my messages or, or whatever as I'm moving between flights. It was just, like, really unpleasant. And uh, it made me realize, too, that, like, the phone should probably, if it's that big, should probably be weighted to the bottom. Yes. Um, because, like... I was a constant fear of like the phone upending itself in my hand, right? So I had to like prop it up on one pinky and then you know move it anyway, the whole thing is terrible. So anyway, uh, I got frustrated with this HTC 1. A very nice phone otherwise. Um mm-hmm. but uh anyway, I went ahead and bought a one of the new Nexus 5s because I mm-hmm. need my I need my old Nexus 5 form factor back.
1: Yeah, I wonder if you'll go through the same thing. It's like, "Wait a minute, this is too small." Um <laughs> I, we'll see. And mm-hmm. Um, the other funny thing is, like with the Nexus Six that I have, the the back of it is not flat, um, and so it's probably so they could fit a bigger battery in it. So I'm excited about having, you know, they say that the bigger phones can have the bigger battery, so the longer life with it. Um, but it's rounded on the back, and a lot of times I would just have it on my desk and I would like unlock it and and peck it with my hand, where now it just it wobbles back and forth uh, because yep. it's it's rounded.
0: Yep. That also drives me crazy about the HDC one. Like I don't need a I don't need this thing rocking on my desk. Like in fact it made me realize exactly how often I'm manipulating my phone as it's lying on my desk. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, I need flatbacks on my on my phones. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> hmm. Or I'll just replace the whole thing with like a chip implant, you know.
1: Yep. It sounds
0: like a, something we'd talk about this week. But <laughs> that, that's not on the agenda. But it's not on the agenda. But okay, yeah. so what do we what do we have on the agenda this week?
1: Oh, we're going to talk about the apple app store infection uh hacking car dealerships to hack cars uh almost running man in the uk and uh robot fuel challenge that's an intriguing list this 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 week
0: mhm mm-hmm.
1: yep yeah it's right up our our demographics alley though i think
0: <laughs> I, th- I think you're right so um, if folks want to uh learn more about uh, the robot fuel challenge or register their complaints about their various mobile phones uh w- which website should they go to dave
1: uh, they should go to dgshow.org. So D is and Dave, G is and Gunner. Show. org. Yes, indeedly, doodly.
0: Um, and the cutting room floor actually a really good cutting room floor this week. I think. Um, <laughs> we've got uh, you found these New Yorker cartoons uh yeah. that have been like re uh recaptioned uh with kind of, well I guess the exercise was find a universal caption for any given New Yorker cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was pretty pretty great. Uh, and then uh. Somebody found Donald Trump uh, endorsing Red Hat, uh, mm-hmm. which was unexpected, but there you have it. And then, uh, yeah. how could he not? How could he not, actually? That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a World War II era kind of prop scout plane. Uh, this is a story in Vice, I think, about how a World War II era prop plane ended up uh, being better in uh, at the certain mission in Afghanistan than the extremely expensive F 35, uh, which was just a great read. Um, especially for anyone who's worked in the DoD, it will it will it will be a familiar story. It's great. It's great. Yeah. Poor F thirty five. Poor F thirty five. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the F thirty five program office can go home and cry on a bag of money. Uh, yeah. The- yeah they, somebody <laughs> just made
1: poor. Um, a <laughs> the, the taxpayer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. App Store news. Yeah. Well, so what's the deal? So Apple's infected.
1: Uh, they weren't infected. Um What was happening was there uh there's a security firm that found out that um their apps that were getting into the store that that just flew past apple's security controls and we talked about this in the past of remember the last uh, one of the previous episodes we were talking about uh people. Uh, side loading apps because, Mm -hmm. and, and, oh, you should go only get stuff through the app store because it's, that's, it's all vetted and it's all secure. Uh, But their apps were actually making it through on the Apple app store. And the way they were doing it is with um, the Xcode software from Apple, um, the app designers or the app makers weren't using the official uh, Apple uh, code, uh, Xcode to write the apps they were actually going on third-party websites to pull down the Xcode code, which happened to be uh, uh, trojanized, and and then developing apps that would, have, that would have malware inside of the apps already baked in. They would upload their apps to the App Store, and then people would use them.
0: So this reminded me of one of the Snowden revelations, right? Where what, didn't they call this out as, uh, I don't know if it was like an actual thing that they had built, or at least it was a hypothetical attack, where if you can compromise the compiler, you can mm-hmm. start uh trojaning basically trojaning in uh, uh malware into other applications um, sounds like what the china well, what do we think Chinese did this
1: uh, who knows it well a lot of it it was uh what what happened was a lot of the people that were making those apps uh were largely Chinese app makers mm-hmm. um, but I think it was because they were it was faster for them to download. The Xcode software from a third-party site than it was from Apple, and and uh, mm. yeah, it, despite having the uh, extra software that enhanced their security, um, the, <laughs> the extra bits they pulled down, it was it was still faster to pull down. And and then I was thinking that oh well, it's probably just like a handful of no-name apps that nobody uses uh, in you know that we would use. Maybe it's just super regional or something like that um and it it winds up um uh, like one of the apps that we use uh cam scanner was mm-hmm. affected yikes and uh, angry birds too and uh and then a little while later there was uh over uh that firm uh, went and said that hey guess what we found over 4000 apps that are that were uh compromised by this uh, malware
0: wow wow so the oh boy so the i got i got so many angles on this um well, let me let me start with one, and then I think and I think you've got another line of inquiry. But um, for me, is Dave? Am, is, am I a terrible person because if I go through an app store, whether it's Google or, or Apple or whatever, and I see an interesting looking application from uh, not a company, but also so. Right, well, okay, so let me let me I'm trying to let me let me say this in in, in a different way. Um, if I'm evaluating which whether I want to install an app or not. Um, I look at the following things, the quality of the icon Mm -hmm. on the, on the app store, the number of ratings and -hmm. the quality of those ratings, right? So like four or five stars, something like that. And then I also look at the maker name. So like if it's some dude, I immediately get suspicious versus if it's a company name, I have a little bit more trust in it. And I'm now examining my assumptions there. And like, if I saw something with like a crappy or a slapdash icon, um, very few ratings, and like a chinese name Mm -hmm. i basically treat it as if it was malware like i i i'm super suspicious of it and i'm now checking my my assumptions here and i'm like okay that's like is that racist or is that just like good judgment
1: yeah well do you know who makes uh the cam scanner software yeah i don't know if i
0: want to know the answer to this but go ahead and tell me
1: uh int sig software Uh uh-huh
0: Okay. Not Sigint. Software. Not Sigint software. Int-Sig. Totally, totally uh-huh.
1: different guys. Those are the bad
0: guys. Is, <laughs> a wholly, a wholly owned subsidiary of the People's Liberation Army. <laughs> yeah, they're
1: probably in this smoke filled room. What do you want to call it? I, <laughs> Sigint software? No, no, that's that's too obvious. That's, how about Intsig? Yeah, let's do that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay so the, so but you you share my my skepticism right and, and and you know and you know the the criteria that I'm talking about right like you run through your kind of mental checklist mm-hmm. as you are going through the app like is this thing going to set my house on fire I'm not yeah. sure and all I have to go on is like the icon the name of the company and the number of ratings like that's a that yeah. seems like or not the, a great the, system
1: Yeah some of it could be or it's like the permissions um right you know it right, could be right. another thing it's and and also the risk reward associated with it is it a flashlight application and it's only going to do certain things and, and it's hopefully the security, it will be contained. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it a flashlight application that wants to use my address book and my <laughs> right. wallet or whatever, you know? Right, right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, the so, obviously, you know, so the can DG show answer to this is, well, just open source it, like make sure the code is open source. Right.
1: Yeah. All all the problems are fixed then. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and this so, is
1: where david a wheeler just he's like yelling at his car radio he just radio. Yeah,
0: that's right. he just he just flipped a desk over somewhere um <laughs> yeah. because i know because the because open sourcing is not enough right especially all this is always true and then it is especially true when we're talking about an intermediary right because the number of places where something can goes wrong include between the source code and being installed on your phone it's like the compiler could be compromised mm-hmm. the uh, the code could be compromised in transit from the developer to the app store. The app mm-hmm. store itself could be compromised. Delivery from the app store to you could be compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, and then and then once it's installed, then there's a whole then there's all of the traditional security questions you have to ask. Um, and so, like, is open source enough? No, obviously not. There's also um, you need a repeatable. Build right. You need, you need like non repudiation on okay. Here's the source code, and then here's the resulting binary, and here's the proof that we got from here to there. Right, like that's you need that kind of that that, that kind of assurance. But even a repeatable build process doesn't solve the compromised compiler process. Right. Um, well, I guess unless you had two compilers side by side. So okay. So in other words, in order to install, you gotta Angry... verify
1: the compiler first.
0: Exactly. So um, and then keep working
1: backwards. Yeah, and right?
0: it's and it's and it's turtles all the way down. And so now suddenly, in order to install Angry Birds 2, I need to have two Macintosh Pros running two simultaneous compilations of the source code. I mean, it's just crazy, yeah, right? At least like, two. At least two. Yeah. 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 Um, I, it, there is absolutely, you know, we talked about that essay from, uh, um, from Swift on security, uh, in an earlier episode, and it's never been more true. Like there is zero chance that the average consumer, least of all, you know, least of all us. And then even like a security expert has basically zero chance of effectively evaluating their risk when using uh, like an app store or any of the existing kind of mobile ecosystems. It's a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, it's, you're totally right. Totally right. Anyway. There's a lot of trust involved, and you know, I guess the big buzzword here is a, a software
0: supply chain. Yes. Yes. Securing the software supply chain.
1: And and it's more than just the app too. That and it could be the, a combination of things. Like maybe what you, uh, maybe the app. You could be crafty, right, and have an app that on one handset is perfectly fine. But the combination of the firmware on the handset with the specifically crafted malware for the person you're targeting would trigger something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would go undetected on everybody else's phone.
0: Right, right. I was also thinking, too, about you could have a an ostensibly innocuous app and then through some clever set of in-app purchases, you could actually mm-hmm. unlock a uh, kind of malware behavior. Mm-hmm. So but this problem isn't just specific to software to either, right? Um I mean mm-hmm. this is here we're not just talking about like app stores and and putting apps on phones. I mean there's actually a this problem of the security of the supply chain affects uh anything with software in it, right? Like including automobiles.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a new thing um that a new hack technique uh, we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Where uh, was it? 60 Minutes or somebody like that. They they did a thing where they took over. Some hackers took over a car that somebody was driving um, using OnStar, Um, and there are different ways that you could break into cars and all that. And so now there's a new thing that uh, some guys came up with some malware detection for car dealerships. So you could uh, so imagine you could take a car that is. Uh, has malware infected on it? So the attacker has uh, a, a car with malware on it. Take it into the car dealership. Um, somebody, uh, a technician, plugs the diagnostic, uh, you know, cable into the was it OB1 connector or whatever that's called. And then, um, uh, and then what that does? That infects the the tool, the diagnostic tool. And then whenever the next car comes into the dealership, uh, and then you plug that diagnostic tool in, then you infect that next car. Um, and I was just thinking that, you know, my guess is that, like, car dealerships at, uh, are probably not super great when it comes to security inside the shop. Like, they <laughs> may be fine where you do the credit card processing, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But imagine for, like, the car dealerships that are just, like, you know, Joe's Garage or something like that, where, the, you know, the guy, you're lucky if he even has a password on his Wi-Fi router, you know, the link <laughs> right. in, in, that's connecting the garage to the um, so he could listen to Pandora or something while he's working on the car. Um, so, yeah, to me that's super scary too, and and that's another attack surface that I think is it could be lucrative, um, but but we'll see. What, what do you think?
0: Um, yeah, well, and I I I think. Again, I think about the poor consumer who has absolutely no way of effectively managing their own risk, right? Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't even realize that things are running software, right? Um, You ask the average person on the street, and it would never occur to them that that there is software in their car or that that software could be updated, right? And. So there's, you know, there's one school of thought here which says that, you know, well, all and especially in light of the Volkswagen revelations um, from a couple of weeks ago, like, oh, well, all this stuff should be open, right? We should have, Eben Mogulin did a whole, I think it was in the Washington Post, he did an op-ed about, you know, that hey, if all this code was open source, then we wouldn't have this problem of people gaming the system or, or messing with the software, what have you. And that may be true as far as it goes, um, <clears throat> but even if the software is open source, it still relies on... A kind of educated, fully informed person operating and maintaining the car to keep things patched and all the rest of it. Like, Mm -hmm. it turns the car, it takes all the problems we have with, like, laptops today and just brings it to automobiles, right? Um, Yeah. Even with an open source, actually doesn't solve that that set of no. problems, right? No, it's
1: you're you're going back to the supply chain. You can have <clears> open <throat> source that is compromised because it has a, a weak links in its supply chain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now that said, I mean, we just not we just invoked open source as a, uh, as not a solution, but it is true that at least with open source, you stand a fighting chance at having having figured out whether you're compromised or not um mm-hmm. most of the you know if it's, if you got proprietary software in your car or just like in your in your laptop if it's proprietary software you have zero chance of figuring out with whether you've been compromised um mm-hmm. you at least have the opportunity to discover the problem and fix it if it's open source so it it's not like open source doesn't do anything it's just it's a half step towards a, a fuller solution and honestly you know this is none of None of the solutions thus far proposed to solving this problem are particularly great because a lot of them involve um, having to establish chains of trust. Mm -hmm. um, And of course, chains of trust have to end somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of like Microsoft, for instance, wanted to solve at least part of the malware problem with operating systems by rooting the chain of trust with them, Mm -hmm. uh, which means that basically you need permission from Microsoft to operate any software. Um, Mm -hmm. That doesn't sound like a great idea. Um, and so, uh, yeah, basically it, this problem is gnarly and intractable and all the solutions are extremely labor intensive and require a very well-educated and vigilant set of users. Um, none, yes. of, none of which we'll get in the near future, I'm afraid. Well,
1: and also the, the, there are super fundamental problems with the way cars are designed now electrically with like a, a comp, like a can bus and how like, you're basically using like uh it's like a, a, a an ethernet hub um mm-hmm. with no encryption and everybody can see everything and you're using telnet uh, in your car um it's you know it's so weakly secured so mm-hmm. if so if something gets compromised like somebody hacks your radio mm-hmm. um it could it can get into the braking system
0: that sounds great that's yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah and it's and it's because
1: it's using uh, technology that is what, 20, 30 years old that mm-hmm. people, oh computer in a car, no way, you know, or, yeah. you know, that this level of sophistication was never planned for. Mm-hmm. And the security hasn't caught up to that. So I, I think this is going to be another, um, another thing that's coming as far as like from a security standpoint and liability standpoint, where you have all these car recalls, um, for, for safety, I, I, you may have the, the same, similar things for security. And, and how do you, how do you patch a
0: car for uh, a 68 camaro um, <laughs> right right well this is where i was going like at what point does ford announce that um you know like the uh, you now have a lifetime subscription to the ford network which is going to like wirelessly update the firmware on your car mm-hmm. um and then how long before somebody compromises that right yeah
1: yeah and or like look at your like you see all this stuff with uh stage fright, uh, on your Android phone. Mm -hmm. And we're having a heck of a problem with just the telephones. And that's a much simpler problem uh, than the cars. And because you're going to keep a car a lot longer than you're going to have a cell phone and maybe, maybe putting my conspiracy hat on, um, maybe the car dealerships want to have, this is a way to build in obsolescence. So nobody will want to have an old car because of all the security problems with it. True. That's right. Then it, then it goes to the, then it, you know, then who, you know, who owns typically the older cars? It's the people without means. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yep, mm-hmm. yep,
0: yep, yep, yep.
1: Somebody call Ralph Nader.
0: <laughs> Unsafe at any version. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, well, let's see what else we got. What else we got? Oh, you found this, uh, what we got, Running Man in Real Life, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, our, our UK friends, uh, I'd love to get some feedback on whether you like this show or not. Um, so, uh, the BBC has this show called hunted. It's, it's a reality TV show, uh, sort of like a, I don't know, some sort of, uh, game show or something, but they basically give, they, you know, people sign up to be on this show, um, and you know, well in advance. And then all of a sudden they get a call, and And saying that in forty eight hours um report here, and you know with no warning mm-hmm. they show up um they hand them seven hundred dollars cash and and they and a one hour head start, and they say disappear and um their task is to be uh not be able to be found for twenty eight days, huh. So what think you, about that. What yeah. would like? What would you do? I don't know what I would do. Like, you know. So it's like seven hundred dollars. You you can't live on seven hundred dollars for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? So you got to find a job, which means you may need credentials, or or mm-hmm. you work under the table, or where are you going to mm-hmm. stay? And um and and what if you go to stay at relatives? Well, people they're going to know who your relatives are. So it's it's basically a team of like former, um, uh, you know police officers and investigators and you know people that would track down like pedophiles and criminals and you know they just literally unleash the dogs um hmm. or it's like oh i have a cabin in the woods i could stay there they probably know that you own a cabin in the woods right so i don't even know like wh- where would you start
0: um so what is the name or, of Or maybe case? you don't
1: want to disclose that right now
0: <laughs> well I was in case say, you get called up yeah is so that you never know when you might need might get into a jam um or, or you get your 48 hour notice to report yeah that's no. right that's yeah. right well so and the name of the game is what migrant worker was that was that the name of the game i mean uh, well and so I was reading this and it was like and it was kind of like fantastical i was like i was like man that's kind of like really exciting and kind of like a but like this is like this is literally what happens for like millions of people around the world right you know looking at all the um all the migration in Europe and all the migration in the united states um like that's that that is actually what happens like somebody sneaks across the border um with 500 bucks in their pocket and they have to do this all the time mm-hmm. um and so it seems i don't want i don't want to i don't want to be too gloomy about it maybe coming off of that secure software supply chain conversation has me a little bit negative but um it seems uh that that is that is a that a situation like that is like a real crisis that like millions of people are living through right now and it's a little bit like ghoulish uh to actually make a game show out of it okay so well,
1: or in other ways the you know the other side of it
0: is to put a light on
1: that to show mm-hmm. for people that don't live that every day it's like oh my gosh this this right. could happen to me or yeah. you know yep. and and so it really Maybe it gives people a greater appreciation for what people go through.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. I, the chances are pretty good they haven't contextualized it quite like that. But I. But I, no, yeah, it's yeah, probably no, I all take, about the ratings, right? right you know, yeah, yeah. No, excited, I take your point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but okay, so now take the take the Debbie Downer hat off and put the put fun guy hat back on. Um, I would take the seven hundred bucks in cash and go run to wherever all of the undocumented workers are, right? Um, and just like i don't know hang out in front of a home depot or something right mm-hmm. um that's that's probably what i would do that's probably what i would do
1: yeah yeah i don't know
0: what about you yeah
1: i don't know it's like i that that sounds like a great idea um and you know and and i and i wonder too it's it, it i i don't even know where i would start like i i think that's a great place to start where you mentioned um, but i don't know what else i would do
0: You could like hide in your own attic.
1: Yeah. And just, I like, mean that could be. Just knows? like take
0: a lot of naps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's 28 days. It's not forever, too. So you could, you know, it could be the kind of thing that, yeah, I could do whatever. I could I could sleep in a tent for 28 days, but um, you know, and, and buy enough rice or something. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear from listeners what their strategies would be as well.
1: Yeah. You know what you could do with the $700? I hmm. uh, get $700 worth of Bitcoin.
0: Now you're thinking. Mhm. Untraceable. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um that's that's an, moving on to the next item is that uh the Commodity Futures Trading Commission has uh, officially recognized Bitcoin as a commodity.
0: So what is that what does that connote? Like what is that? Uh what does that then do to to Bitcoin or like does that mean it's regulated now or
1: um, I, I'm sure that's a way for people to. So there's money in it for somebody in order to take a percentage from a transaction fee standpoint. But oh,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: it's just a way, you know, it's categorized as a, as a commodity. So people could uh, buy and sell it just like crude oil or wheat or do speculation and, uh, you know, uh, probably buy futures on Bitcoin.
0: Right, right. And because it's the Commodity Futures Trading Commission that that made that i'm uh, I'm suspecting that also this gives them a chance to or this gives them the privilege of like intervening if somebody's doing like futures manipulation or something like that right
1: yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. good well okay good for the bitcoin market maybe that'll uh maybe maybe getting a of in town will uh will smooth things out because that that market's been pretty volatile right if yes I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah
1: yep yeah you know what else is disruptive hmm Amazon. No kidding. No
0: kidding. So, have you heard about Flex? I have not. What is this?
1: So Flex is uh, so this is a new thing they're trying out where um, they're basically Uberization or Uberizing uh, package delivery. Mm -hmm. So um, instead of somebody being like an Uber driver and just you know just uh, going around driving people around, they can go to an Uber or they can go to an Amazon warehouse. Uh, I guess take a number, their number gets called, they're handed a bunch of packages, and then they go from the warehouse uh, driving around town to deliver the packages, and then they can make 18 to $25 an hour.
0: Huh. You know what's interesting about calling it Flex? Um, I, I just noticed that the, the marketing of this, like calling it Flex, it's obviously branded to cater to the people being employed by the service as opposed to the package delivery service from the consumer point of view. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yes. Yes. And, and so it's a way like you think about it. Um, you know, when, uh, when I was a, a teenager, you know, it's like, Oh, you get a job in a grocery store, you fill out an application or it's hard to get a job or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of ways like with flex or with Uber, for people to do like supplementary income, uh, whenever it's like, Oh, I'm not making enough. So this is a way to, to make some more money. And it's, and, and I guess what you do is you sign up, um, like with, with, with that flex, you could sign up and, and it's not like, Oh, I'll take three packages. It's you sign up to do like a a minimum of two hours worth of work. And I think it's like so many increments per hour. Mm -hmm. And then you get paid that hourly rate for what you deliver.
0: So I see this as, as, well, I mean, it's basically mechanical Turk with, People in cars, right? Yep. Yeah, um, and it probably comes with all the same questions, like the the competition. Like, there is way more supply for people willing to do this work than there is demand on the on the Amazon side. I suspect. Um, so the price is only going to go down if yep. they're starting at eighteen to twenty five. Like, it's going to go straight down to minimum wage and maybe even lower. I'm not even sure what the minimum wage rules are about something like this. Um, so there's that. And then the the other thought I have about this is. Um, you mentioned like getting a job after getting a job in high school or something like that. Like, yeah, I mean to make money, but, um, the problem with all of these jobs, whether it's like Uber driver or Amazon flex or whatever is like, those are definitely jobs and not careers. Right. Like yes. that's, that's a gig. Right. <laughs> so yeah. that yeah, better yeah. be, you better make super sure that like Amazon flex is like a side hustle. Right. Cause like, cause the wage could change any moment. Um, the availability of work could change at any moment. Um, mm-hmm. That's not something that's going to catapult somebody into the middle class, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 for your beer money. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the,
0: I, I agree with you that
1: eighteen to twenty five an hour. There's probably economists at Amazon that already have this mathematically planned out for if it's successful and mm-hmm. how the the price would plummet, and there could even be like, um, like bidding where people would say that, oh, no, I'll, I'll deliver it for $16 an hour. Yep. And, and you know, it just, you know, and people could, with the mobile app, they could bid their way down mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. um, do it for less and less.
0: Yeah, yep. Or go the other way around. Like maybe Amazon opens it up to the recipients and be like, I'm willing to pay 50 bucks if somebody can get this to me in an hour.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, surge pricing.
0: Yep, 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 yep.
1: Yep. And maybe that's where, you know, the value is, is in the... uh uh, you know, that's it it would basically settle in at what the market value would be for that, I presume.
0: Right, but which would be super lumpy, which would then affect the supply of people willing to try to, which is the which is the problem with with Turk, right? Um mm-hmm. that's why like Amazon Turk is even bad now that it's now that that's a sophisticated market or a kind of a mature market, um, people can barely make minimum wage out of it. Um mm-hmm. because there is so much supply. And the demand is is lumpy um, or stuff like that. So interesting.
1: Well, with the Mechanical Turk, I could imagine that it would be, you know, there are people all over the world. And where minimum wage for here is somebody could be making that, that would be a lot of money to somebody in a third world country. Um, Mm -hmm. And whereas with Flex being somewhat local to a city, um, it would probably be... I don't know, it, 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 at least it wouldn't be like third world wages, I guess.
0: Yes, that's, uh, you're right about that. That's, yeah, because yeah. you're not competing with somebody, you're not competing with somebody in India, right? So that makes sense, but yeah. Um, also, okay, one last kink in this, and then we can move on to the next thing. There's got to be some kind of like security slash like shrinkage management that they're, that they're trying to manage here as well, right? Because they don't want the package just like disappearing. So like, do they do like background checks on people?
1: Mm, yes. Yes. They well, and just as Uber does background checks on people, um, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not yeah, quite like that. <laughs> not as rigorous. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they do that, and you got to have a driver's license, and you got to have. Uh, uh, I think you have to be a certain age to be able to do it. But it would be nice to have like a, a way to rate people the way that you could rate uh, like businesses or sellers on the internet.
0: Right. Right. Uh, we could call it uh, what? People.
1: Yes, with with three E's. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So have you heard about this?
0: I have, and I'm trying to figure out what the what the big deal is. So can can you walk me through it?
1: Yeah. So it's it's essentially it's a Yelp for people, and and you are opted in whether you want to be opted in or not, mm-hmm. and and the way it works, and this is coming, I guess, in November. Okay. And so uh, it's you you install this app. And then it's like you – whether it's – you could decide whether it's uh, somebody that is um, – uh, like uh, you have a friendship with them or if you have uh, a, a romantic relationship with them. You, you pick different categories and then you say whether um, they were good or not. I don't know if it's a star system or you could you could put notes about, oh, this, this uh, guy was a creep or this lady was a creep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens is um, – if somebody else, if that other person is on People, um, they get forty-eight hours to dispute whether the rating was fair or not. And then, um, and if if that forty-eight hours passes or that dispute doesn't happen, that that post, if it's bad, gets posted. If it's a positive review, it gets posted automatically. And if you don't have an account, um, only the positive reviews will show up. Um, and, and so, but if you ever get an account, then you end up on this, uh, hamster wheel of, of having, you know, worrying about people rating you, uh, negatively and dealing with those permanent consequences. Right.
0: Right. Um, so is this meaningfully different than, uh, setting up a webpage to say good, good or bad things about somebody or doing a Facebook post about a public Facebook post about whether, whether somebody is doing a good or a bad thing. Um, Like I'm trying to figure out, there there does seem to be something qualitatively different about uh, making it kind of one destination. Um, But isn't this basically just like a concentrated version of Twitter? Oh, I don't. In the sense of like, in the sense of, you know, uh, in the sense of there are many different venues for talking about whether somebody is good or bad or or what your opinion of them is. Um, Mm -hmm. So like what makes this different?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's like th- that's the sole purpose of this app is mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. Um it's also s- like centralized and probably searchable mm-hmm. um and from a like a data value standpoint of being able to oh, I want to yeah, who knows. You, you're you know some lady's going out on a date with some guy. This could be a way to check the guy out to see if he's a jerk or whatever. Right. Um and, and there may be some value in that. I I don't know, but I but also too it's it's I don't know if it's, it, you know, for there are a lot of people that are, say, like celebrities that, you know, that you sports figures or political figures and, you know, people like them or they don't like them. And, you know, those celebrities just they get over it uh, because it's like, you know, whatever then mm-hmm. life goes on. But now it gets down to the micro level of uh, somebody that uh, that they got to worry about their you know, treating everybody nice or, or whatever. I, I I don't know. It's like, it's at a very, very small level for John Q public. Yep. Yep. Um, the other thing that they said too, was that the, um, there's a problem with self-selection with these rating apps. So like with Yelp and rate my professor, um, the, the only people who leave reviews are the ones that either love or hate the subject that they're rating. Right. And, Right. And so you know, people—it's like they have an axe to grind or something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like rarely, you know, you look on the app store, you rarely get like three-star reviews. Right. It's yeah. all it's all polarized in one direction or the other, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you get the average, which is often meaningless. Right.
0: Right. Um, man, I don't. So, so is a. I, so I was relieved to hear that I needed a Facebook account uh, to get involved in this. It um, says I don't have one. <laughs> i've kind of opted myself out which is great and the system in that sense is working as designed but um do i care um like if if there's a people page about me um and people are saying all kinds of bad stuff on me uh whether it's deserved or not like to what extent do i care like is do i have the ability to opt out not in the sense of like delete my profile from the thing but do i have a sense of like in my life i can just opt out of this right and just pretend the site doesn't exist
1: yeah. Mentally you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if legally, um, somebody could just sue that company and say that, uh, you know, the, the, what is, what is the European, uh, right to be forgotten? Uh, right. you know, right. that they could say, no, I don't want to profile. I, I gave you no permission to use my name or likeness. Um, so to me, that could be like a lawsuit waiting to happen.
0: Right. And there's also going to be like a libel slander thing, which is, I guess why they have that 48 hour. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I don't feel like the world's enriched by having this tool around. How about that? I agree. Yep. Okay. Um. But you know, you know what will enrich the world, Dave? Uh,
1: the open org uh uh, chat coming up.
0: Yeah. So what's that? And you're gonna be you're gonna be in on that, right? Yep. Yep. So that
1: is gonna be on October eighth. So I will be doing that. And um, if anybody has noticed, uh, we've been kicking out episodes like crazy. (laughs) That's right. It's, it's, so, did you like outsource this to like Foxconn to like make all these the, the episodes to get them out at uh, out the door so fast? Or...
0: The the entire D and G tool chain has now been outsourced to Amazon Turk. So, this is...
1: <laughs> nice, nice, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the whole reason why we're doing that is to with the, me being on the Open Org uh, Twitter chat on October eighth, we wanted to um, hurry up and get episode one hundred out. Um, uh, very quickly, uh, in, uh, celebration of, of that. So, which is the episode that we have, uh, Jim Whitehurst on the uh, episode. So that should be coming out in a matter of days. So stay tuned.
0: Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. This, uh, we've had that interview sitting in the can for quite some time. I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about getting that out the door and I couldn't think of a better person to do episode 100 with than Jim Whitehurst. Yep, so, That's great. That's great. Yeah. Right on. Uh, let's see. Well, we, got some, uh, we also got some public sector news here, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. we got a couple things left, and then we'll wrap. Um, yeah, so uh, one of the things I saw from Mark Hilberger is he mentioned that uh, uh, the cybersecurity czar for uh, the White House. He said that north of 80% of intrusions rely on known fixable vulnerabilities.
0: Stands to reason. Yep. Stands to reason. I mean, because uh, if, un- if they're unknown vulnerabilities then uh, chances are very low that somebody's going to use them, right?
1: Yeah, well, um, <laughs> <So> like... <laughs> well
0: publicly unknown. There could yeah, be a yeah, lot yeah. That, are,
1: that are out there uh, that yep. people are taking advantage of. And, and then there are other ones that are... The, the sad part is uh, known vulnerabilities with no fixes yet, where mm-hmm. people are left out there hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, it's like, come on guys we we had a patch you guys didn't patch what's up with this like like you see all the the recent news about all of the uh shell shock and heart bleed systems that are still hanging out there yep um it's like what, what what's taking you
0: guys yep 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 totally true totally true and uh this leads us to the next item which is uh which is the statistic that a third of dod software vulnerabilities come from security software itself wow um which is a nice little like irony of the week award. Um, yes. but like, but it's a, but it's an object lesson in, um, the solution to the problem is never more software, right? Yes. More often than not, as was, at least as far as security goes. Um, except the, for Se Linux, except for Se Linux, with the notable exception of Se Linux. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, no, adding adding software of course increases complexity, and the more complexity you have, the less likely it is that you are going to be patchable. That you are, as you say, like that you're going to be kept up to date, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and just because it's management software doesn't mean that it's immune from all the same problems that software has anyway, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, and and also you have a, the more software you have, the bigger the attack surface. Yep,
0: yep, yep. Just so, just so. Yeah. Speaking of attack surface, what's this military robot all about?
1: Yeah. So this is uh, something from the vault. Um, so this is, I guess, before we started doing podcasts. So back in 2009, um, there's a company called uh, Cyclone Power Technologies, and they were working with Darth, uh, DARPA and Robotic Technology Incorporated uh, to develop a robot that didn't need a battery or a fuel tank of any kind.
0: Mm, okay. So okay. Was, it, how, was it like solar or something like that? Or how does it? Nope. It
1: was, so it's a military robot that can go designed for endurance missions and it could feed on vegetation around it, uh, uh, without needing to have a battery.
0: Oh, so like it could run over, like a, find a, uh, like a, like a dead branch or a tree or, or something like that and, and feed off of the, mm-hmm. whatever the energy in that. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Biomass. Uh huh.
0: Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay.
1: And, and so then, so what's interesting about this is it, uh, it, it, uh, it it had it has like a chainsaw on it oh okay yeah so it's <laughs> so you got a robot that eats biomass it has a chainsaw on it, used by the military uh-huh. um yeah it's a vegetarian <laughs> right maybe maybe um yeah yeah and so then people were like i guess what happened and this is back in 2009 people were were freaking out um, because they're worried about what what what's gonna happen if it's you know, you could program it to eat humans and uh or it could go around on the battlefield and eat the corpses of humans or eat live humans where and, and so this is like a movie plot waiting to happen, right?
0: Oh um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, the the robot's name is it was called Eater, E A T R so the energetically autonomous tactical robot. <sighs>
0: uh yeah and movie title built in movie title, right, yeah, Inner two <laughs> um, imagine the world um, right, and so
1: yeah, and so uh so all this press, you know, so people were freaking out right and and so, wait a minute, you got this thing that eats biomass as a chainsaw on it, um and and so you know, speaking of quotes of the week uh so the cyclone c e o um, it said in a press release, we completely understand the public's concern about futuristic robots feeding on the human population, but that's not our mission. <laughs>
0: I'm glad he got that out of the way. <laughs> right?
1: and, and then, so then the next thing is uh, so he, he goes on to say, we're focused on demonstrating that our energies can create uh, usable green power from plentiful renewable plant matter. Uh, the commercial applications alone for this earth, earth-friendly energy solution are enormous.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, and and we're keeping the chainsaw on the thing. We feel like the chainsaw is really important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it says uh, uh, the company estimated about 150 pounds of vegetation could provide sufficient energy for 100 miles of driving. So how much do you weigh, Gunnar?
0: Uh, yeah, I weigh about, uh, that's about a gunner, approximately one gunner.
1: <laughs> you, you weigh about a hundred miles. Um, about okay. 100.
0: It would take a, yeah. uh, wow. So it would take what? Three of me to get to Houston. Um, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem efficient at all. Actually. 150 pounds of vegetation is, is like, is like, that's a bunch. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a,
1: yeah, yeah. You need to like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I guess if there, if you get rid of all the people, then the robots aren't necessary anymore. <laughs> But, yeah, unless they could eat other robots.
0: Yeah, I just yeah, I, I'm I I'm I'm with the hysterical public. I, I don't like how the incentives are aligned for this robot. Um yeah. like you give it you give it a weapon and the ability to feed on human beings and like you better be yeah. super sure about the little uh Asimov's Law module in that uh in that software. <laughs> yeah. like, that's that's
1: you go back to the supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Bring
0: up full circle. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's great. So it winds up that uh, yeah, as 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 far as uh, the, you know, from this article, I, um, um, I, I have it in the show notes that uh, uh, that this whole thing was scrapped and Eater is no longer being developed, as far as we know.
0: <laughs> that's right, and we won't find out until it's too late. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right, uh, so Dave, um, unless we're thrown into the gibbering maw of Eater, uh, where, where do folks go for uh, for more information? <laughs> there will about... be an episode one. <laughs> That's yeah, right, right. <laughs> right.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, they they what they need to do they got to go to uh, dgshow.org. dot So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner show
0: Awesome. Uh, thanks, Dave, and uh, keep an eye out for robots with chainsaws. Yeah, absolutely. Stay safe
1: out there, people. <laughs> Thank you.